Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the District Church. For those of you who don't know me, hello. Um, how are we doing this morning? Good. Uh, raise of hands, who actually just came for the potluck? If you guys can just, all right, that's okay, I did too. And then they told me I had to preach, so we're here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we are jumping back into our Acts series this morning, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be starting in verse 25, and I don't know if you're like me, but there are passages in scriptures that resonate, right? There are, there are certain scriptures that You can go to in times of suffering, you can go to in times of loss and need, or even in times of rejoicing, and they bring life to you. And this passage is like that for me. When when we look at today, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, there's there's a place in my soul for this passage. Now, most of you guys don't know me well enough to know that eight years ago I was actually diagnosed with cancer. And being diagnosed, I was given a choice of to live or to not live and go on with the Lord. And I'm here today, obviously, so I chose the living part. But with that, there was an aspect of the type of chemo that I needed to choose. And that chemo led to the diagnosis that I might not, and as I found out, am not able to have children. So when you come to a text, or when I come to a text like this and see the Ethiopian eunuch, and if you're familiar, as we'll talk about what the Ethiopian eunuch has walked through, he's not able to have children, whether it was because he was born this way or because he was castrated or mutilated. He falls in that same category. And so when I read the gospel being presented to somebody like this, I kind of put myself in that place. And I see the glory of God in it. And so I hope as I give you that story, you guys have those passages where you can run to. Those passages that you can fall back on in times of struggle, in times of need. Because the beautiful truth about the gospel is it makes us whole and it sets us free. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, is that the gospel makes us whole and it sets us free. Now, as you guys are turning there, and I'm sure you guys are quicker than me, you're already at Acts 8, but when it comes to this passage, I want to ask this question this morning. Because of the gospel, because of your life and pursuing the Lord, have you ever been called out of your comfort zone? You can say yes, you can raise your hand, say no, it's all right. But have you been called out of your comfort zone because of the gospel? Yeah? Okay, cool. Now, there's plenty of examples of this, right? I, I'm originally from Florida, so I came up here a couple of years ago to help plant the church with Dwayne. We're, that's being called out of my comfort zone. I'm from South Florida where life is fast. There's a lot of people. I am the minority when it comes to being a white guy down there. So it's a little different coming up here to the Midwest where everybody's actually friendly and will say hi to you as you walk down the street. But maybe... God calls you out of your comfort zone when you're in a secure and lucrative job to go and be a missionary to people who have never heard the gospel. 
Or maybe it's a relationship that's bringing security to you, but you can feel that God is calling you out. There are times in our lives when we're pursuing the Lord that he is going to call us out of our comfort zone. So any of you who've answered no, that he hasn't called you out, that's what you have to look forward to. But I promise you this, there will be no other joy or satisfaction that you will receive better than living in the light of the Lord's will. In following the Lord's will, there will be no greater joy or satisfaction found in your life. So I would encourage you, if you hear this message this morning and God is stirring something up within you, pursue it, even if it's going to take you out of your comfort zone. As Jim, as Jim Elliott has said, and I think it's great for this passage that we're going to look at, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at this morning, the freedom of the gospel that we have received. We've seen it and heard it in our songs. Jordan preached out of Galatians this morning, which is great. It shows us that we've been set free. Paul goes on even in Galatians 5 to tell us that it is for freedom that we've been set free. It frees us from our sin, our selfishness, and finding our identity in anything and everything but what Christ has done for us. This is the gospel. And we've been given this light to be free in it, to go and then share it to a dark and dying world. And we have that freedom to go and do that. In the last couple of weeks, we've actually walked through the story of two men who've lived this out in their lives. If you're familiar with the last couple of weeks, we were walking through and we were looking at Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. He stepped out of his comfort zone, went and preached the gospel to people who were hating him, right? They were slandering him, but he was willing to stand up for the Lord. And then he got stoned. And then last week we saw Philip leaving, or two weeks ago, sorry. Two weeks ago we saw Philip leaving and going to Samaria. Now this is important because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. They hated each other. And so Philip leaving to go and preach the gospel to people who he knew hated him kind of take, takes him out of his comfort zone, right? And so we see this example in these, these two men of how the gospel frees them to go and not worry about how somebody might respond how they might feel, or how he might feel leaving a place where he's secure. And this is what we're going to take a look at this morning, this gospel freedom, because Philip's story didn't end last week. And we're going to see how God continues to use him as he is free to follow the Lord's will. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to kind of walk through this passage together. Lord, <clears throat> we come to you this morning and we know that, as your word says, it is for freedom that you've set us free. As Jim Elliott's wife once said about her husband, it's also true for us. We belong to you, and you are our creator and redeemer. And may your truth stir our affections for you this morning. May it challenge us to step out of our comfort zones and to go wherever you have called. Lord, whether that be in our neighborhoods, our jobs, our families, overseas on missions, other cities to church plant, whatever it may be, Lord, may our lives be used to share the gospel of Christ. Help us to see that we too have this freedom in Christ and may that 
Freedom compel us to go where you have called, knowing that when we step out of our comfort zones, even though it may be difficult, we will find joy and satisfaction in trusting in your will. Lord, as your servant this morning, use me to share your word. Carried only by the Holy Spirit, Lord, may your word go forth let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't picked up on the theme that we're talking about this morning, it's freedom, right? As we've sang about it, as we're walking through this passage, this is what I want you to see. The gospel brings freedom. That's my main point that we're going to kind of continue to harp on. We're going to continue to drive back to is that gospel freedom is the only freedom where you are truly free. Let me say that one more time. Gospel freedom is the only freedom where you are truly free. Nothing in this world brings you that freedom. As much as the world tries to push back and tell you, if you just did this, or if you just did this, you'll be free. You'll be able to do as you please. These are promises that the world makes that are going to leave you empty and a slave to yourself, a slave to the idols of worship that will never satisfy. So let's take a look at how the gospel freedom compels Philip to go. So if you look back in verse 25, Luke tells us this. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. One of the things I love about reading Philip's life is his willingness to go anywhere God calls him to go. A few weeks ago, we saw him go to the Samaritans, which we just talked about. This would have been a shocking news story that he would have told. You imagine him going to his family and going, hey, mom and dad, I'm, I'm going to go to the people that hate us the most, and I'm going to preach the gospel. See, the Jews saw the Samaritans as unclean. They saw them as worse than the Gentiles. And so Philip being called on his first missionary journey would have been a big deal to him, his family, and his community around him. <clears throat> but as we saw a few weeks ago, as Philip listened to the Lord's will, people were changed. The gospel was spread. The joy of the Lord was throughout the city of Samaria. <clears throat> so you would think Philip being sent to Samaritans, that, that was it for him, right? If you're reading his story, don't know what's coming on next, you'd be like, okay, so Philip's going to stay in this town. He's going to be the pastor of Samaria. He's going to be the one that founded the, the first Baptist church of Samaria, and that was going to be it. Maybe find a nice wife, lead a family, raised them up, he was going to stay there. Because revival was happening, right? The, the joy of the Lord was upon the city. So why wouldn't he just stay there and be a part of this, revi excuse me, this revival? But we look at verse 26, and we see God call Philip to leave. And he's called to go to a desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza. Now, this is important for us to know because history tells us this journey Philip would have been on would have been about 65 miles of traveling in the desert, lonely, on his own. 
And if you read both of these stories again, if you kind of read through Acts chapter 8 and see them back to back, you'll notice that Luke highlights the fruitful ministry, the robust ministry that's happening in Samaria, and he contrasts it with how the desert looks, how empty and unfruitful it is. Luke is trying to paint this picture of two places in which Philip was at, two opposite sides to get us to see how bad it actually was where he was going. But again, we notice in verse 26, he just goes. There's no banter with the Lord, like, why do I need to do this? There's no questioning of what God is calling him to do. He just goes. And Philip doesn't know who he's going to meet, why he's going, or even where he's going. God just calls him to go down to Gaza, and that's it. Now think about this for a second. God calling Philip out in a place that was thriving would be very confusing. I mean, it's like us. If if we were to have this church and it just blows up in Indianapolis and then Dwayne or myself were just just called to the swamp. I think about going back to the Everglades and just living with swamp people. Nobody's there, right? And this place is fruitful and The gospel is thriving, and God's like, all right, Josh, you're going to go live with the swamp people. It'd be kind of a little, it'd be weird. It'd be confusing. Why would God do this? Doesn't God know that revival is happening in Samaria? Doesn't he know that he can use somebody else than Philip? And if we were in Philip's shoes, we'd probably be just as confused. Yet this is where the freedom of the gospel allows Philip to listen to the Lord of the will, or the will of the Lord and to go. He found his identity not in that he was able to save a bunch of people in Samaria. He didn't find his identity in being the evangelist that brought the gospel to this town. He didn't find his identity in the thriving of his ministry. He found his identity in Christ. And because of that, he was able to leave that place and go to a place that was unknown and not aware of what he'd be doing as he went. Is this not how God operates sometimes with us? I asked you that question before, has God called you out of your comfort zone? This is, this is what God's doing for Philip. But is this not when we're pursuing the Lord and his will at times where we find ourselves? A little bit confused, wondering what God is doing, not being able to see the future. As I said before, God may call you out of this place to go to a nation that doesn't know him. God may call you out of a larger church to go and help start a church plant. God may call you out of things where you feel comfortable in order to place you in a spot that's going to bring him glory and grow his kingdom, and ultimately your joy will flourish in that. But what if Philip just said, nah, I'm good? What if Philip was just like, Lord, you see this ministry? I don't need to go to the desert. To shed some light on if he had done that, God would have used somebody else, right? And history goes on to show us that this eunuch is actually the guy who starts the first church plant in northern Africa. And if you know anything about church history, northern Africa is where we get a lot of our church fathers, 
So because of the eunuch and because of Philip's willingness to go and preach the gospel to him, this one man goes and helps a church movement in another continent. And if Philip had just said, nah, I'm good, he would have never got to experience the joy of seeing this man come to the Lord. So you may not know why God is calling you out of your comfort zone. You may not know why God is calling you to a place where you're kind of confused. Why would he call you to this place? But it's the freedom that we have in the gospel to know that God's plan for our lives is greater than our plans for ourselves. Proverbs 16, 9 tells us the heart of a man plans his steps, but the Lord determines his path. So where do you this morning need to trust the Lord in following his will? Where in your life do you need to trust his plan and let go of your own? The beauty of this story right here that we see, and that Philip going and preaching the gospel to the eunuch, is that we see how far God is willing to go to save one person. And what he's willing to do in order to have somebody receive the gospel. And this is throughout scripture, man. You, you walk through, I specifically think of the New Testament, Luke 15, where Jesus talks about the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son. Every time those stories end, there's rejoicing that one would be saved. And so we see here God using Philip in order to save that one. And it shows us the length in which God is willing to go. So let's keep on reading and see this conversation that happens between Philip and the eunuch. Starting in verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and he was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. So he found the reason why Philip's called to the desert. Philip's walking doesn't tell us how far, even though the, the trip would have been about 65 miles. It doesn't tell us where on that journey he is. He's walking alone wondering what's going on, and all of a sudden this Ethiopian eunuch's carriage is walking by. And God tells him to go, and Philip runs to him. And we see Luke tell us that this man from Ethiopia is reading Isaiah on his way back from Jerusalem. So I want to highlight this guy for a little bit. So we're going to sit here and learn about this Ethiopian eunuch. Now right off the bat, it's easy to see he's a black guy from Ethiopia, and not only that, but the country of Ethiopia today is not the same country that is being described here in Luke. Ethiopia was the largest kingdom that basically covered most of Africa. Anything south of the Nile River was considered the Ethiopian kingdom. So you can imagine the treasures in which the queen of Ethiopia had. And then this guy was her treasurer. So this guy was pretty high up there, right? He was big time. If he needed something in the kingdom, he could get it. 
And you'll notice that Luke makes a big deal so that we as the readers know how important this man was to this kingdom. See the adjectives that describe this man. He was the court official of the queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all her treasure. I would dare to say that Luke also wants us to pick up on the fact that this Ethiopian man was very successful. By taking a look at him, we also see that he was a eunuch, which means, as we talked about earlier, he was castrated. And since there's children in the room, I'm not going to go too deep into what that means. You guys can understand that. Just know that anyone working close with the queen, the reason that they would be a eunuch is because the royal officials didn't want anybody getting frisky with the queen. They didn't want any unplanned pregnancies. So this is what they did. And it's going to be important as we see the story unfold of why Luke highlights that he was a eunuch. So here's what I want us to think about when it comes to this Ethiopian. Of all the places he could have gone to worship, we find him on his way back from Jerusalem. You've got to ask the question, why would he go to Jerusalem? First of all, the journey itself was 1,200 miles. Now think about that for a second. 1,200 miles, first century transportation. Not 21st century. He's not hopping on a jet. He's not getting in a car. He's walking. Well, he's being carried. As history would show us, and this is the craziest thing that I, I think I've read this week, uh, this carriage was not one that was going to be drawn by a horse or any type of donkey or anything pulling it. This carriage would actually be held by six to eight men holding his carriage on their shoulders. So 1,200 miles of walking or being held in a carriage moving to Jerusalem. I used to get tired driving to the fashion mall that was like two miles away from my house. This guy is 1,200 miles away from his home just so that he can come and worship the God of Israel. Can you imagine the amount of time this would have taken? The toll in which he would have had to go through? It's kind of interesting to see that he would travel months, maybe even years, just to come and worship a God he had maybe sort of heard about in Africa. What it shows us here is that this man who had all the power, all the ability to connect with people, all the wealth that he needed, still wasn't satisfied in who he was. And he was on a journey to try to find what would satisfy his soul. It's interesting to know that Africa was not only a place of, very, of wealth, but it was also a place of learning, philosophy, education, religion. There were many gods and many religions to worship there. So you find it interesting that this man is leaving his home, probably searched out all of those gods, all of those religions, all of that philosophy, and still wasn't satisfied with what he had found. And here we find him on his journey. Now, I don't want that to go past what we're talking about this morning. I don't want you to lose sight of that. Because this man is like those around us today. 
longing for something to fill their soul and to be satisfied in something eternal. So along comes Philip, being led by the Holy Spirit, he's told to go to this chariot. Now, if you, I mean, when I picture this scene, I'm thinking Philip is kind of in the desert, and he gets this call to go run, and it's kind of weird to me, right? Like, Philip is just in the desert, he's called to run, and he runs to this chariot, never met him before, obviously he would know that he's some type of an official, he just runs up and he's like, hey man, what are you reading? I'm not going to lie to you. If I was that eunuch, I'd be like, get this guy away from me. Who's this weirdo that's running up on my, on my chariot like this? And I can't help but think that that Ethiopian was a little bit startled. I mean, I'd like to know if that chariot was stopped. This, I actually was thinking about this last night. I'd like to see the replay of this happen. So maybe when we get to heaven, the Lord can show me this timeline. I don't know if any of you are like that, but I'd like to see certain events happen. So if I could get into heaven and be like, Lord, just show me this piece. How did this happen? I'd be grateful. Probably not going to happen, but it is what it is. But we see Philip run up to this carriage, and he asks this question, do you know what you're reading? Do you know what you're reading? It's such an important question. He's not worried about how the eunuch would respond to him. He's not worried about, you know, what might be thought of who he looks like or, or this official looking down upon this Israelite. He just hears this Ethiopian eunuch read Isaiah and asks the question, do you know what you're reading? And then the Ethiopian eunuch responds. And I love his response. How can I, unless somebody guides me, And if you're familiar with the book of Romans, which I hope you are, I hope it draws this picture of Romans 10 that Paul brings up. Paul brings up exactly the question that's being asked by this eunuch. And he says this in Romans 10, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Romans 10, 15 is a direct quote from Isaiah 52, which is a chapter right before this eunuch and what he's reading. And if you're familiar with Old Testament literature and how it would have been read, it's it's not going to be read like this. It's going to be a scroll. It's going to be a story that just continues to keep reading. And if you see this picture that Luke is trying to draw in what we're looking at here with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, you see that Philip is running to the chariot, which should draw this picture of Isaiah 52 that Paul quotes in Romans 10 of how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that verse is important because in Isaiah, when he brings that passage up, he's talking about someone who is running towards his home announcing victory you see when a city was under siege and the city was in battle with another country if they had won that battle they would send a messenger back and he would run from the time he was done to that city he wouldn't stop 
And the people on the watchtowers were looking at the feet of those messengers. And if those feet were moving fast, that meant that he could tell the city victory had been won for us. And so when Isaiah quotes how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, we're looking at that feet running towards us, that Christ has done what we could not do. Christ has given us this victory. And so this picture is drawn up here in Acts that Philip is running towards this eunuch to show him that victory has been won for him. That what he'd been longing for and what he'd been searching all throughout had been given to him in Christ. And we're going to see as Philip preaches the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, he sees this. He receives this. Now before we go on, I just want to pause for a second because I want to look again at the freedom that Philip has in the gospel. We see that he's willing to leave Samaria. We see that he's in the desert. We see that he's willing to run up to a carriage that he's not even familiar with. And you've got to know that he sees this extremely wealthy man. I mean, it's not every day that somebody's being carried by eight grown men and you're sitting on a chair. What could Philip start to think as he approaches this carriage? What doubts could go through his mind on what he is supposed to say to this man? I'm just a commoner. He's, he's a man who's got great wealth. What could I say to him? What if this man looks down upon me because of who I am, being a Jew, being a white man, being fill in the blank? What if Philip felt like he didn't know what he was going to say? Are these not questions that you may ask in a similar situation? Are these not questions that we may ask all the time of why we don't share the gospel with those God has placed around us? We too can have these same doubts, these same wonders of what am I going to say? Am I going to say enough? Am I going to know what to say? But Philip, understanding the freedom that he has in the gospel, trusts that the Holy Spirit is leading him and trust that the Lord will give him the words to say at the time in which he needs them. And the same is true for us. When we are free in following the Lord's will, when we are understanding that we are called to go and preach the gospel to those God has placed around us, we have this understanding that the Holy Spirit will provide all that we need, including the words to say when we enter into those conversations. We just need to go. Now let's take a look at Philip and the Ethiopian, Ethiopian's conversation as he's reading Isaiah. Starting in verse 32, it says this. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? 
Then he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azutis, and he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Going back to the replay, I'd like to ask the Lord to show me this is also part of it. I just don't understand how Philip just, just found himself in another place. And I'm going to submit that, and I stole this from Dwayne, so I'm going to give him credit here. I'm going to submit that in glory, we're going to be able to teleport. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we're going to be able to teleport. You look at this passage, you look at Philip just finding his own place in different, different spots. You see Jesus, he ascended. He walked through walls. Why won't we be able to? I digress. I'm, I'm going to get back to this. <laughs> but this is, this is it, guys. This is the point of this passage. That Philip was called to a desert, not knowing where he was going or what he was going to do. But he finds this eunuch, and he preaches the gospel to this man who had been searching. Philip didn't know he was searching. Philip didn't know that he had come from Ethiopia to hear the God of the Jews. Philip was just free in his identity in Christ to go and preach the gospel, and he did. And the Ethiopian eunuch hears this message, hears what the story of Christ brings, the satisfaction and fulfillment in knowing Christ. And it says that he starts in chapter 53 and he teaches the eunuch the good news about Christ. If you think about this, he probably walked through this whole chapter. And I have to read this because it's, it's a beautiful piece of scripture that we have. But it says that Jesus bore all of our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We are healed. Can you imagine the hope and the joy as Philip is saying this to this eunuch? You are healed because of Christ. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. This is the Christ that we have. This is the Christ that Philip preached to this eunuch. And this is the truth that God calls us to go and share with a dark and dying world. That all of our longings, all of our desires, all of the satisfaction that we look for can be fulfilled in Christ. The eunuch hears this and he responds. So what's, much, what's interesting is that he responds much differently than Simon the magician that we saw two weeks ago. Simon, upon hearing repent, asks for prayer from the apostles, which would reveal that his heart really wasn't fully repentant. But here, Luke shows us what the gospel does when it actually transforms the heart of somebody hearing about Christ. They ask, where's the water? Let's get baptized. And they go on rejoicing as this Ethiopian does. This is the same hope that we have for the world today. This is the only hope that we can give the world today. Those who have everything and yet are still not satisfied, they need Christ. 
Those who are broken and longing for healing, they need Christ. Those who are tired and weary, they need Christ. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. This is the message that we need to bring to the world. Because the world is still asking, who is this prophet speaking of? And my question to you this morning is, are you listening? Are we listening for those gospel conversations, for those gospel questions? You see, this freedom that we have should compel us to go to those who are lost and to share this good news. And God never intended that we accomplish the great commission for him. He intended that we accomplish it with him. It is something he asked us to join in with him by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're called to join in with him to go and share the love of Christ, to see the great commission go out to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And I understand that for some of you, this may look different. I understand that for some of you, you may be called in this moment to go to another country. So my words are, go and do it. Let me, let Dwayne know. We'll figure out a way to get you over wherever you need to be. Some of you just need to be faithful where God has placed you. You guys understand that nobody has an influence in the sphere of life greater than you do. I'm not going to have a good influence in your sphere of life. You're not going to have it in mine. And God has placed you in those spheres to be able to go and share the gospel where you are, at your jobs, in your neighborhoods. Jordan's not in here, but yesterday he was telling Dwayne and I as we tried to pull up his mailbox that uh, he's been doing a lot of big chores and big jobs around the house. And he loves it because he doesn't have the tools that he needs to do it, but his neighbor Tim does. So every job that he has, he goes over and he talks to Tim. And he gets to know him more and more to be able to hang out with him, to be able to share life with him. If Jordan was in here, I'd I'd yell at him, keep doing that. This is what we're talking about when it comes to sharing life and the gospel with those God has placed around you. Now some of you may need to hear this. And I'm not sorry for it, but some of you, this mission field that God has called you is right here in this church. And I know we've said this before, and I like to harp on it a lot because I don't have kids, so it sounds a little bit different from coming from me. But every one of those children in there need to hear about Christ. Every one of those children in there need to hear about Christ. They need someone in their lives other than their moms and dads, which which is great, but they need other adults in their lives to point them to Jesus. And I'm going to try to go down these lists of names because I love these kids. Ezra, Wyatt, Talia, Alistair, Haddon, Emma Lynn, Roman, Emery May, am I missing a kid? Karis. I love these kids. I love going and sharing life in the gospel with them. They are a joy. They can be a handful at times, more often than not, but they need to hear Christ. And so some of us, our missionary field is going to be in there. And some of you may not like being around kids. Again, going back to God is calling you out of your comfort zone in order to grow 
his kingdom. Now, if you're here this morning and you find yourself like the eunuch, longing for satisfaction of the soul, if you've been searching for something and haven't been able to be filled, I promise to you, the hope that I give you is that it can only be found in Christ. And I want to bring this up as we close this morning. That the eunuch left Jerusalem most likely disappointed and disheartened. And I say that because Deuteronomy 23 tells us one of the rules for the temple. And I'm not going to read it because it gets pretty grotesque. But here are the cliff notes. Eunuchs weren't allowed in. In fact, there would have been a sign that would have reminded him that he wasn't allowed in. The sign said, no blind, no lame, and no eunuchs. So this man who traveled 1,200 miles to find the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Jews, would have seen this sign and not been able to enter the temple, not been able to worship. Can you imagine the disappointment? Can you imagine the frustration the anger that might be coming from him as he reads that sign. I've traveled 1,200 miles. I gave up my time, my job, maybe even where I stand in the kingdom to come and worship this God, and he tells me I can't come in the temple with him. Thankfully, the Ethiopian story didn't end there. Philip showed him that all his soul was longing for and searching for was found in Christ. That temple that you were going to is, is just something that points to the Messiah that's already come. And as one can assume, and this is probably the, my favorite part of this passage, one can assume that as he left and continued on to Ethiopia, he would continue to keep reading Isaiah. And he would have got to chapter 56 that started like this. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What a hope and a promise this man is given in Christ. That the eunuch no longer has to find their identity in who they are and what has happened to them. And this gospel truth goes out to us as well that we no longer have to find our identity in our past and what's happened in our families our sin, the shame that we hold on to. Christ has done all that we need so that we can live a free life. And as I said earlier this morning, so that we can be whole. That's what the gospel does for us. It is the only freedom where you are truly free. This is the freedom that Philip lived in. 
This is the freedom that the Ethiopian rejoiced in. And this is the freedom that you and I can live in as we trust in the will of the Lord. Seeking out and going and sharing our life and the gospel with those he's placed around us. And one of the ways that we get to celebrate this freedom is by taking of communion. Where we remember what Christ has done for us in setting us free from the bondage of sin and slavery to it. Jesus lived a life that we could never live. He died the death we so rightly deserved, and he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death on our behalf, so that when we place our trust in him, we receive his righteousness because our sin has been placed on him on the cross. And this is what we get to celebrate. That freedom that we have received in Christ, we get to celebrate every time we take communion. So I'm going to close us here in prayer. I'm going to ask that you guys take some time to just kind of reflect on the truth of the gospel and then celebrate. Get up and celebrate the truth of what communion reflects, that we have been set free in Christ. And as Paul says, it is for freedom that we've been set free. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that we find complete whole satisfaction in you and you alone. Lord, I pray this morning that if anyone is stirred to go, that you, you would compel them to. That the gospel freedom would show them that there are many, many people in this world who need the light of Christ. Lord, may this gospel also compel us to to see those that you've placed around us as needy and longing for a fulfilled soul. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to hear these gospel conversations. Lord, may the gospel also show us who we are in you, that we are whole and complete no longer have to look at our past. We no longer have to look at what may have happened to us, but because of Christ, we are now whole in him. Lord, may this compel us. May this help us live freely in this truth. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has done all that we need. It's in his name we pray. Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at